Hey everyone, this is PJ Williams from Conspiracy Pilled. Last week, you guys probably remember I told you about Hawkhound Media, my new media company that I made to produce and bring other great podcasts covering a wide range of interests, including conspiracy, true crime, movies, books, video games, you name it from a cultural perspective that is not so mainstream, kind of like how we do on Conspiracy Pilled. So here is the first one I'm introducing to you, Overruled with Katie Zed. Katie Zed offers an in-depth, heavily researched, and vastly entertaining take on true crime that is different than the cookie-cutter book reports you so often get in that genre. I like to think of her as the anti-Kim Kardashian of true crime. On this episode, my co-host Abby joins her as well as our friend Jess Holmes to talk about the recent true crime documentary, The Tetris Murders. You can find Katie Zed on YouTube at KTZED or on our Hawkhound Media YouTube page at Hawkhound Media or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Now on to the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Overruled. I hope you guys can hear me. (laughs) I'm using a new program to stream with today. So... We will see how it goes. I want to welcome to the show, Abby Libby and Jess from Lit. Am I allowed to say that yet? Uh, We'll just kind of tease it, but those who know me know me as Real Truth Cactus. Gotcha. Real Truth Cactus. Welcome to the show. So uh, we were talking about this Tetris murders thing, and you both uh, graciously... uh, accepted my invitation to be on today to talk about it. So I'm so excited to talk about this case, um, mainly because um, it's got a lot of twists and turns in it, doesn't it? It really does. Um, Okay, so I guess we're just going to get started and let me do some adjusting here. So in uh, 1998, September 22nd, 1998, the police were called to the Palo Alto, California home of Vladimir Polhinko. And they discovered a, like a really, it was really bad scene. So they walk in and um, nothing in the living room sort of area looks disturbed so much. Um, but they get to the first like guest bedroom. They like walk down the hall and I gotta tell you, when I'm when I heard the description of this house, it's set up. It seems very similar to my house, so I kind of get chills just talking about it. Like I'm in my guest room right now. When you walk oh. down the hall, first room, guest room, <laughs> and um, in this guest room, they find uh, Elena is uh, just on the bed. She's got blood everywhere, uh, and where is she? There she is. So this is um, Yelena, and she's 38 years old, and there's just blood everywhere. Her head is bashed in. She's stabbed. Gruesome, gruesome scene. Um, and then they walk down the hall a little more, and the the um, master bedroom is there. And on the master bed, or the bed in the master bedroom, the master bed? That came out weird. Um, the son is there. The son is Peter, and he's 12 years old. And the same thing, same sort of thing, head bashed in, stab wounds, really weird. Uh, on the floor in the master bedroom is a Vladimir, and he's his throat is sliced. Um, and from the reports, it says his throat is sliced so deeply that they can s- almost see his spine. It's like through his windpipe, and they can see his spine. 
kind of crazy. A little bit of background about these three. Um, Yelena, and you guys jump in anytime. I'm just going to keep talking until somebody interrupts me. <laughs> I'm not used to having people here. Um, I, I saw Abby make a face when I said his throat was slit. It was like Nicole Brown Simpson sort of slit. I, I don't want to give spoilers for later, but that deeply cuts into, pun intended, I'm not even going to pretend I didn't oh. intend that pun. Um, the <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The, the narrative about what this, what allegedly was, what this mm-hmm. crime allegedly was, it doesn't, that's not, doesn't feel doesn't right. But anyway, yeah, I'll leave that for later. Something doesn't make sense here. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, it it may have been (laughs) OJ's first victims, (laughs) a Russian family in Palo Alto. (laughs) Um, Yelena um, was a yoga instructor, and she was actually a pretty big deal when they lived in Russia. These are um, Russian immigrants that are living in Palo Alto. So when she was in Russia, she was like, she was kind of a big deal. She was like the premier Russian yoga instructor, and she... um, let's see the university of moscow yeah the university she was a russian she worked at the university of moscow and um did like conferences and stuff like that um and then she came here and she opened up her own yoga studio in california called stan fees the the stanford yoga studio so she had her own business she was like a self-made lady you know um i don't know anything about yoga it's the devil stretching, so I try to stay away from it. That's all you need to know about yoga. Yeah. Uh, Peter was in middle school. He was a straight A student in math and science, uh, were his top subjects. He was also a dancer and an artist, so very well-rounded kid. And I saw an interview with his teacher right after uh, he was murdered. Um And his teacher said, his teacher's name was Phil Doan, and he said, Peter was definitely a gifted child, a brilliant child, and he doesn't say that lightly. So it's not like he's just saying that because he's dead. He's saying, yeah, he was really, he was going, he was going places. His life was definitely cut short. All right. So Vladimir, who we have on our screen here. Vladimir worked at the Moscow Medical Center as a psychologist. He was a big fan of the of a computerized approach to psychology. He was positive that compute, computers could help in developing different tools in psychology, as well as create some games to help people develop intu- uh, intellectual. <laughs> I'm so intellectual, I can't say the word intellectual. Intellectual functions. Maybe I should play some of his games. Um, It was in Moscow where where he met Alexei Pedet. Yes, thank you. I got you. (laughs) I was struggling there. Pedetnov. And Alexei, we all know as the creator of Tetris, but... Uh, Vladimir helped a lot. He actually took a year off of his regular job to help develop this game. Um, And the reason why um, Vladimir was so interested in it is because he saw it more than just a game because of his psychological studies. And he, uh, I guess he penned or um, came up with the name Tetris Effect. 
Is that correct, Jess? Yes. Um, so he was kind of, uh, here, let me get to it in my notes. He was one of the first people to recognize the Tetris effect for what it was. So if you focus really intensely on something and you kind of start to see those after images in your eyes, uh, my husband kind of described it as if you look at the sun too long and then you look away and you kind of see that sphere in your eye. That's yeah. kind of one symptom of the Tetris effect. Um, and it's because of your subconscious memory bringing up something you've intensely focused on. So if you can imagine playing Tetris with its brightly colored blocks moving really fast for like six hours, you might see it in your sleep. You might see a bunch of luggage you have to put in the back of your car and think of it like a big Tetris puzzle. And so this hypnagogic injury, uh, also called a waking dream, is what became known as the Tetris. And, I think we've um, all packed a car thinking about Tetris before, <laughs> right? <laughs> Well, now we have because Tetris is so ingrained into our culture. But I mean, if you could imagine before Tetris, how were people mm -hmm. thinking about packing a car then, right? Yeah. I don't um, know. Before Tetris, I can remember going on road trips with my, like my dad would pack the car. And he had that down pack, even though he had, like Tetris wasn't even invented yet. So <laughs> There you go. I just had a different name for it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. Well, and it goes a little bit deeper too, because if you think, Think of how much spatial, mathematical, and geometric reasoning you have to use when you play Tetric. Mm -hmm. Tetris. You kind of enter into this hypnotic state where mm -hmm. you're focusing really intensely on your hand movements and the blocks coming down in order to beat the game, right? It starts yeah. getting faster, the music has a higher tempo, and you start to have this out-of-body trance-like experience. And Pohiko was very interested in that. Um, I was reading this book called The Tetris Effect uh, by Dan Ackerman. He's actually in the uh, Tetris miniseries. So um, he spoke a lot about that. Um, and sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> entering into that, he was really interested in it because he noticed uh, his employees were mm -hmm. really into the game. And so they like stopped working. And Pohiko was like, ah, that's not okay. So he took all the floppy disks and like threw them out. Um, yeah. But then he could use it on his patients and was really interested on that interaction there. That's very interesting because it, uh, because he was a psychologist and he immediately recognized when Alexei invented this game, he's showing it like Alexei was a programmer at the Soviet Academy of Sciences. Um, and when he was a kid, he loved the mm -hmm. game Pentominoes. Um, and he just had this idea for um, a computerized version of that game. And if you guys don't know what Pentominoes are, they're these little wooden um there's actually five shapes in it. So this little C shape is not in the Tetris game, but the other five shapes are. So he used to play this a lot when he was a kid and you can get it on Amazon for $9.99 apparently. Uh, there's different versions of it. So it's it was a very popular game when he was a kid. And then as soon as um, Vladimir saw this, he saw the, psych the psychological, I guess, uh, um, advantages of kind of brain games and puzzles like that. And he was really interested in computers and stuff like that too. So um, 
So Alexei made the first Tetris game to show and showed it to his friend. It's not even like they worked together. I don't think at this time they were just friends and he showed it to his friend and it starts getting passed around the office, of course. And people are playing Tetris in, in Soviet Russia. And, uh, and Vladimir's like, hmm, I got an idea. We need to mass market this crap right now. <laughs> um, well, that's kind of hard to do in Soviet Russia when the government takes all of your intellectual property. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, the, uh, Vladimir took a year off and worked with Alexei on, um, on developing this. And it, from what I understand about Soviet Russia, it's not even that they would, they would take it, but they would make you hand it over. They would like strong arm mm-hmm. you and threaten you and be like, um, you want to give this to us, right? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, that's exactly well, since you it. just slit my dog's throat, I think I might, <laughs> you know? Um it's crazy how once in a while an idea like this emerges where it's so obvious right off the bat mm-hmm. that it is such a powerful little idea that's going to make millions and millions of dollars. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So how did they get it out of Russia? Okay, so the thing you have to remember is in Soviet Russia, uh, they in had Soviet to- Russia. Sorry. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, you're good. <laughs> they had very limited access. Sorry. Sorry, I was... I was... Uh, they had... I'm going to stop. Uh, <laughs> you're good. I love it. Uh, they had limited access to modern technology. So uh, the, one of the best computers they had at the time was the Electronica 60. And that was basically crap, right? All you do was put in lines of code. And so the only way to Tetris onto another computer, it's not like they had USB drives or airdrops. You would basically have to rewrite the code yourself. Um, So that wasn't really feasible. So what they needed to do was get the code into a better computer, which at the time was the IBM PC that ran MS-DOS, kind of think early Microsoft type computer. Uh, And these types of computers had floppy disks. So Ali brought in this young savant, uh, Vadim Gerasimov, to recode Tetris to run on the IBM PC. And now that it's on a really good computer and can be put on a floppy disk, I don't know if you guys remember what a floppy disk looks like. Let me see. I'm super I old. <laughs> I remember <laughs> floppy disks. <laughs> I wonder if our poor. audience remembers what a <laughs> floppy disk looks like. Yeah. Oh, so, awesome. Yeah, they're awesome, right? Um, but this was the way information was in the late 90s. So, so it copy a version of Tetris onto a floppy disk and pass it around. Now it's a lot easier to get around instead of rewriting the whole code. Um, and that's basically how it got through all of Russia. But now you're kind of locked in. Okay, how's it going to get out of Russia? That was the big challenge. But then uh, Alexei has his boss and his boss is like, this is cool. I can see where you're going with this. He has this really hard to pronounce last name. It's Bajarbin. I don't know. Good luck. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'll call him Victor because that's his first name. Um, and he had friends with the SZKI Institute of Computer Scientists in Budapest, Hungary. So basically hooked him up with a copy of Tetris. And now Tetris was outside the Iron Curtain. Now it could be reprogrammed on even better computers like the Apple II and the Commodore 64, which was widely accessible in the UK and the US. So I remember. 
<laughs> you remember the Commodore 64? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so now it's a matter of marketing it out. And Robert Stein in Hungary saw the great economic potential of Tetris. He reached out to Alexi, um, offering him very generous sales royalties, like 75% after expenses. Um, but Alexi had to be careful um, to dig himself out a hole with the Russian government. Some miscommunication happened, and then Stein brought on this guy called Robert Maxwell, who I'm sure you'll hear more about later, to be mm-hmm. an intermediary for getting the licensing for Tetris. And of course, the Russian government didn't like that. They're like, we want all the money. So they're... Um, I think they said, we want all the money. You want oh, all yeah, the yeah. money. You're the right. Rubles. I didn't do it in the right way. <laughs> <laughs> so it, they were referred to as the Soviet Ministry of Trade, um, otherwise as ELORG, E-L-O-R-G. And their vice chairman, Nikolai Blikov, basically cracked down on the whole situation, locked away the rights to Tetris, and pushed Alexei out. So uh, so they would be the ones doing the negotiating. Of course, they were kind of upset because by this point, it's already out of the country. Hungary got a hold of it. Stein was exporting it to the UK and the US, making tons of money. And they were like, all right. We want all that money. You got to give us that money. And Stein was like, "Mm, I don't know about that. And then comes along Hank Rogers. He's from, well, he's technically Dutch, but he works for Nintendo in Japan. And he makes this very solid deal with Elorg um, and sells the licensing rights to Nintendo with the Game Boy. And then kind of the rest is history. Tetris makes the Game Boy as big as it is. And the Game Boy makes Tetris, as it is said. The Game Boy was released on July 31st, 1989, and um, I'm going to show you guys a couple of uh, archived Nintendo Game Boy commercials, because I love archived footage, and why not? <laughs> you need a touch shot. Do you guys remember these commercials, or are you too young? I'm too I'm young. Too young. <laughs> young as well. Nintendo introduces Tetris. Put a piece here. Put a piece there. Use your thumbs. Use your eyes. Find yourself Tetrisized. Now you're playing with power. So that's that just an amazing, amazing commercial. commercial. I thought so. I love archived, um, like, video footage. And, and stuff like that. So, so I did find those couple. There's there's tons of them online, guys. But those are my two favorites. The first one that I showed that you couldn't hear was actually the original Game Boy advertisement that um, Tetris originally came with Game Boy. That's I don't think it would have been as big as it was if um, if it wasn't included in Game Boy because everyone wanted a Game Boy and it's the game it came with. So yeah, it really was the perfect storm. You had the world's most addictive game and is now the world's number one most ported game and the first handheld console ever. It's like, it was a recipe for awesomeness. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. Let's I had see a little we yeah, go ahead. dollar handheld that just did Tetris. This was probably 10 maybe five years after Game Boy had come out, but they had just, you know, for the poor people, 
<laughs> so I had, yeah, I played Tetris a lot, but not on Game Boy. Mm-hmm. I remember that. I you think I had that same. I had that same thing up until recently, like maybe a year ago. I I had it for years and years and years, and our basement flooded. Um, a year and a half ago. And so uh, we got a dumpster and a lot of stuff went in the trash. It was like, s- there was stuff that we wanted to save and try to clean up. But for the most part, we just like clear, <laughs> cleared it, which, you know, turned out to be all right. <laughs> um, at the time it was kind of sad, but you know, um, but yeah, I had that exact same thing. It was blue and it was kind of oval shaped with a square yeah. screen. Yeah. I had the, oh same, gosh, the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, All right, back into murder. (laughs) This is a true crime (laughs) channel, not a video game channel. Come on, guys. Um, So let's see. So the murders. So some weird stuff happens with these murders. I'm going to play for you guys now that you can hear what I'm playing. Um, This documentary trailer that just came out, uh, I'm going to play this and then we'll get into... um, what we think happened. Case that stands out in your mind. And this case constantly comes up. Police say Vladimir Pachulko used a hammer and a hunting knife to kill his wife and his son as they slept, then used the knife to kill himself. We learned that the Pachilko family were from Russia. We also learned that Vladimir was a developer of Tetris. I knew that myself and other members of the department felt that it might have been a homicide. Different things were coming along that didn't quite fit. The blood spatter is weird. I'm not going to sign a death certificate. Are you kidding? There were two different hammers. It was officially ruled a homicide-suicide. Why is the FBI getting involved in this little murder-suicide? The more we learned about Vladimir and his family, the deeper the sort of mystery got. Rumors started circulating and a lot of people started mentioning the Russian mafia. You have a kaleidoscope, you give that one turn, and all of a sudden the picture looks different. It's like the game Tetris, just like these blocks are coming down. It didn't fit for me. Somebody knows something more than we know. There's a whole lot more to this than what the follow-out police department file showed. You have a business, you're a target of the gag, period. It didn't smell right in 1998. And I know now I was right. Okay, it, so it, that's... It, 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 it. <laughs> yeah, I want everybody who's speaking um, as a Russian from now on must use that voice, please, from, from here for the rest he'll, of the he'll show. He'll try. He'll try. Thank you. <laughs> Um, (laughs) so that's the, um, documentary that was recommended to me that I watched, like, I watched like an episode and a half of it. And I'm, I'm, I'm in a chat with Abby saying, there's so much conspiracy stuff here. You got to get on the show and talk about it. So, um, there's a lot going on here. So weird stuff happening in this case. So it's ruled a murder-suicide almost immediately. But, okay, so the wife and the son are both bludgeoned in the head with a hammer and stabbed. But it was exactly, I I didn't write it It was down. 11 stabs exactly yeah, for both. Like 11 and 9 or something. Like 11 or 9 head wounds and... yeah. Yeah, I have it in my written notes somewhere, but anyway. I remember it was was weird that it was odd numbers. 
Yeah. Exactly. So I just had it in front of me. Maybe not. Anyway, it was 13. It was like 13 stab wounds and 11 head wounds, but it was the exact same for both. I might be off on those numbers. Don't quote me on that, but it was exactly the same for both the wife and the son, which is kind of odd. Like if you're going to kill somebody and then kill another person, what's the chances? And one of them's a grown ass woman, a grown woman, sorry, trying not to swear, a grown woman and a child. You would think it wouldn't take the same amount of force to kill both of them. They were both overkill. So hammer head wounds, stab wounds, two different hammers were used. Why, why would two different hammers be used? Is this Popolosi's hammer or different hammer? (laughs) Hammer. I believe Paul Pelosi's hammer. (laughs) Um, You do the voice way better than I do. Thank you. Not only were two different hammers used, but when they processed the scene, zero fingerprints were found on either of the hammers. Zero. Uh, There's other places that fingerprints should have been found that weren't found. So in the hall bathroom, by the way, also a hall bathroom right in my, like, the exact same setup as this house. It's really creepy. Um, So in the hall bathroom sink, um, there's blood where you can see somebody, like, rinsed off their hands or a weapon or something like that um and on so there's blood in the sink however on the knobs for the sink no fingerprints zero fingerprints why would you why does anybody have any explanation of why if you're going to murder suicide yourself why you would wipe down the hand the faucet handles only thing I can think of is if you originally uh, did plan to not suicide yourself, just commit murder, then cleaned up, then could not live with your actions. So, suicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then there's the suicide note itself, which I'm sure you'll get into. And it, maybe if he was at war with himself, maybe yeah. the good part of himself was like, no, clean it up. And then, I don't know. Like the don't angel really buy the this. Yeah, the angel yeah. and the demon. it's just plain devil's advocate but exactly um another thing that's weird is he used he hammered the that sounds bad (laughs) he hit them in the head with a hammer and then he stabbed them as well overkill again it's a little bit much it's a bit much yeah uh no fingerprints on the knife either but there's a palm print the knife is found in vladimir's hand but like, if you're gonna grab a, if you're gonna grab a knife, like you would hold it like this, so your fingerprints would be on that side and your palm print would be on the other side. But no fingerprints, just palm. So how would you hold this and not get your fingerprints on it? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm glad I have. I wasn't even planning that. I just happened to have that here. Does <laughs> um, <laughs> Katie have a knife on her? <laughs> I, you know, when these headphones are on, I need to, if somebody bursts through the door, you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> like we were, we were talking yesterday about doxing, so got to be ready. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, other, other weird stuff. Um, the, the, night, the neck wound of when he suicided himself, we talked about earlier. So the knife was found in his right hand. But the neck wound was also on his right hand. 
But instead of cutting like this, he cut down like this. And it was so far that you could see the spine. <laughs> like he almost decapitated himself. Um, I'm not sure how you almost decapitate yourself. What murder suicide, guys? It, it, this is what I was referencing earlier with the too deep of a cut. It's it's like how how would you even do that? I don't know. There were two um, um, smaller cuts on his neck, like. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Like hesitation marks. Also, we'll come back to the hesitate. We'll come back to that. So two hesitation marks and then almost decapitated. Uh, the blood splatter. So he suicided himself in front of like sliding glass doors. And on the sliding glass doors, um, there was blood splattered, but it was only from about a foot and a half down. So if you're standing and you cut your neck, like the blood would be up higher, which, okay, so in this documentary that we just watched, this is what the lady was saying, that the blood should have been higher up. But of course, when I watch documentary, I try to figure out what they're not telling me every time. Here's the thing. I think the blood splatter actually makes sense because if you're standing up or even kneeling down and you cut your neck, your arm would like swing behind you. So the blood might just be down there. But the way she was explaining it is that he was already laying down and somebody like, like grabbed his head and like slipped, which also would make sense. But all, but then the blood would be higher too. So I'm not sure about that part. What do you guys think about the blood evidence? It yeah, could go it either could, way. could go either way. Definitely. Yeah. The cutting to your spinal cord though. I'm not like, that's, that's I the don't part think that anyone's strong enough to do that. <laughs> yeah. The, um, he didn't, somehow he managed to slice his neck and not hit a high pressure artery. So he died slowly, but he still had the knife in his hand. And um, I don't know if you guys watched the episode of Conspiracy Pill that I was on a couple weeks ago, but there was the same sort of thing that the autopsy person, there's a name for that person, the, um, the coroner. Yeah, that guy. Actually, it was a woman, I think, in this case. <laughs> Go figure. Um, <laughs> said that, like, when you die, you there's a death grasp mm -hmm. but only if you die quickly so in the kurt cobain case that we were talking about the the shotgun had swung around to where it was upside down and they said well that's it had to be fired when it was upside down because of this death grip and that's what they're saying about this but he bled out slowly so it doesn't make a lot of sense that he would have still had the knife in his hand um I forgot to turn the music back on. I have the, the hour and a half of touches music that I love. <laughs> I guess if you're enjoying your, in the weird, icky way that you would enjoy a suicide, like if you're enjoying your own, like that you I would just hang on to it as you die for the drama of it. I can't see not immediately dropping the knife and trying to grab your neck. Like, I, I but just, if you're in that place where you've killed your wife and child and now you're trying to kill yourself, yeah, you know, the the survival instinct 
kind of gone at that point, isn't it? Maybe, but I mean, it's an instinct. So can you really get rid of that? That's true. I don't know. Um, Let's see. Okay, so they found a suicide note. And the suicide note said... In, okay, the suicide note was found in his office, so not in either of the rooms where he was killed. It was in a different room. It was on, like, his desk in his office. It says, I've been eaten alive, Vladimir. Just remember that I am exist, the, the, the devil, but it was spelled wrong. It was spelled D-A-V-I-L. So I've been, I've been eaten alive, Vladimir. Just remember that I am exist, the devil. I understand that English wasn't his first language, but this was written in English. Um, also, the way he spelled devil is not how you would spell devil in Russian. Seems odd. So the suicide note was a little sus. Hold on a second. And... Just totally lost my place. Here we go. Um, the, Vladimir's co-workers so the police get there they see all this stuff and they start doing their investigation as you do when you're a police officer and you come across three dead bodies uh, so they go and interview his co-workers and his co-workers and friends report that he was under a lot of stress aren't we all um, his friends characterized Vladimir and Yelena's relationship as tense they slept in different bedrooms which is not always a sign that there's issues. Maybe he snored. We don't know. It's reported that um, the following Wednesday after the murder. Okay. Sorry. I skipped a part. His company, Animatech, was in trouble. His uh, American company is called Animatech. Animatech was this company that he started um, with... Alexi and Hank when they first got to the United States in 1992, 1991. So they just started this company and they were thinking with the success of Tetris. Now keep in mind the oligarchs still own Tetris at this time. So, uh, but they're like, well, we made did this once we can do it again for sure. Right. Uh, Well, they didn't, they had one program that they made that was a little successful. It was called Elfish. It was like a screensaver that you could program wasn't great. Uh, Vladimir had a bunch of Russian um, employees, like people who, after the Berlin Wall came down, a bunch of Russians came over to the United States and he would hire them because um, they could get a work visa. And it. either way, even without USSR still in place, being in America was better than being in Russia. So he started... Uh, it's not going well. He's starting to have to lay people off, but it's not just laying somebody off because they're on work visas. So when you lay off a Russian immigrant, they get sent back to Russia if they don't find a job right away. So he's like under immense pressure. He's getting emails from employees like pissed off. Like if you fire me, I'm going to have to go back to Russia. Please don't do this. But he didn't have any money. So what are you going to do? Like it's business. So, um, so, Yoga, the yoga studio wasn't doing as well as Yelena's yoga studio was doing in Russia. Lots of money problems with this guy. Turns out um, a company called Squaresoft 
put in an offer to buy Animatech like a week after uh, the murder, the murder suicide uh, for $200,000, which would have back in the uh, late nineties is $200,000 is not like that much money now, but it's a lot of money back then. Uh, I didn't do the calculation. Yeah. Huge buyout for a company that didn't have anything successful really to speak of. Um, So his money problems were about to be solved. And you would think if they were putting in an offer, he would have known that this was coming. That's not something that sneaks up on you in business usually. So that's kind of fishy. Speaking of fish, his screensaver that he made was about uh, like had fish swimming in a tank. It was kind of cute. I saw a video of it. Like, yeah, you could like genetically alter the fish. It's a pretty interesting game. Yeah. Oh, I re- I remember it kind of because of the cat paw that would come in and yeah. swipe at the swipe at the. You fish. could see how the tricky. fish responded to different stimuli and how that changed mm. their breeding behaviors. Wow, I didn't know all that. I just saw the, I just saw the <laughs> screensaver. I'm like, that's a cool screensaver. I kind of want it now. <laughs> um. Another thing that may have led to Vladimir's, um, oops, sorry, I'm trying to cue stuff up and talk at the same time. I'm not an expert, guys, so we're just going to do it. Um, another thing that may have have um, contributed is that Vladimir would do sleep deprivation studies. You remember he's a psychologist. So he would do sleep deprivation studies and he would um, kind of experiment on himself. So he would deprive himself of sleep. And he got down to, he was only sleeping two hours a night. And I don't know if you've ever had a bad night's sleep, but I don't know if you would murder your family because of it. However... You can go crazy. Get a little cranky, yeah. So, uh, yeah, and he was doing this without even, like, snorting cocaine and, like, energy drinks weren't invented yet. So he was just, like, straight sleep deprivation. Uh, And he was having hallucinations. And one of the hallucinations that he told his friends about was that he saw rats all over his room. So he would spend most of his nights where everyone else was sleeping. He wasn't in his office where they found that note. And he just was hallucinating that rats were all over the room. So when I heard that, it reminded me of this. Is this, the rats are all like this. The rat goes like this. So the rat's like this. The normal rat is like this. That's the normal rat. Like this, like this. It sniffs. It's like this for quite a while. He's like this. And then maybe he sniffs. You are now a normal rat. Um, yeah yeah i just i couldn't not i when i read that today i'm like i had just seen that jordan peterson thing the supercut about the rats i'm like and he looks a little unhinged in this video i'm thinking that that was exactly what uh vladimir was like in his office uh in the middle of the night when everyone else was sleeping. <laughs> the rat's like this. <laughs> Except for real. <laughs> and then he snips. He's like this. <laughs> Continuing to play devil's advocate. What if uh, this man had psychotic break because of his sleep deprivation, killed his wife and child, then realized what he did, cleaned up, and then killed himself? Could be. Could be. I'm just um, saying it's probably not the Russian mob. 
I don't, I'm just here to tell you, it was not Russian mob. Well, now the Russian mob does have a history of um, suiciding people. So it, it happens a lot. And one of, another person, well, do you want to tell us, uh, Abby, about some of the other? KGB uh, Abby. K- KGB Abby. <laughs> What well, do you what do you all in Russia do when you want to get rid of somebody? Is it anything like the Clintons? The KGB has <laughs> has intentionally studied how to suicide people in a way that makes it look like suicide. It's 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 something that that Russia has has taken very seriously as a tactic. And CNN reported in early September that eight. Uh, Russian oligarchs had all died by suicide or some sort of accident, and I do believe that number is is greater now. Yeah, um, and especially when it comes to their money. So one of the um, theories put forth in this docu series, which um, I thought was interesting because I followed the case about this very closely was that Robert Maxwell, which is Ghislaine Maxwell's father, was stealing money um, through Tetris, like selling bootleg copies of Tetris through his company. Yeah. Um, so do you think the Russian mob got him? <laughs> I I don't. I can see why. Um the Tetris murders documentary definitely tried to draw a connection. Uh, Robert Maxwell died on his yacht, drowned off of his yacht. Um, but it really does look like a suicide to me and everything around it. I mean, his life was falling apart. All of his money, financial crimes were, um, come, you know, the chickens were coming home to roost. Yeah. And uh, he was not a nice person. Um, he was a he was very abusive to his family, abusive to his staff, and his staff knew him to be very terrible. So on that day, um, they were expecting him to be really terrible because a mistake had been made with the food, and he was especially awful about food. And instead of being awful, he was really nice to everybody that day. It was very out of character, and uh, that is consistent with with suicide of people are like, this is my last day on earth. I'm going to be nice to people. I'm going to give gifts away. I'm going to, you know, it's so the Russian mob does these things, but there's actually some indication that we know that Robert Maxwell worked for MI6, but there's definitely evidence that he was double agenting with both the KGB and Mossad. So Mm -hmm. arguably he's in with them, not against them. So, I um when when I was watching this documentary and this came up I'm like and it comes up for like a minute and a half and then they drop it I'm like wait a minute there's something they're not telling us here which yeah. is all the stuff that Abby just went into and I I immediately suspected that something was <laughs> that was off um and so I had my uh, conspiracy-minded friend look into it, and I was right. It was off. Like, he definitely <laughs> yeah. uh, killed himself. Uh, but I could see why the um, the police thought it was a Russian mob hit, because when they started, you know, they're, we're back to the investigation now, and they're doing their investigation, and they're talking to... Uh, Palo Alto had a... Um, 
very close knit Russian community. So um, they start talking to all these people and the, the Russian community immediately is like, uh, no, Vladimir did not kill his family and kill himself. This was a mob hit. They probably said it in a Russian accent. Um, <laughs> and um, it makes sense because the Animatech uh, company, they talked to those people too. And the comptroller at Animatech said there was suspicious accounts. Three different payments were made every month until a couple of months before the murder-suicide air quotes, um, to offshore accounts. And when she questioned Vladimir about it, he said, oh, it's investors, and he wouldn't go into any more details. So if he was paying off the um, Russian mob um, and then stopped paying because he wasn't doing good, um, you know, it makes sense that they would put a hit out on him. Or he would suicide himself, and they would make it look like a murder-suicide, that sort of thing. Another uh, interesting thing was that, okay, hallucinations covered that. Oh, the FBI. The FBI. <laughs> I forgot to talk about the FBI. So normally on a case, the FBI... Um, is only comes in if the um, local police department. Now, keep in mind, this is a murder-suicide, cut and dry, so they think. There's no reason, nothing crossed state lines. There's no reason for the FBI to be involved at all. However, the FBI calls the local police department and says, hey, guys, do you want help? Now, this is highly unusual. If the... Um, FBI did want, or if the local police did want help, first they would call the, um, the, what, what, okay, sorry, <laughs> I don't know what's happening. <laughs> um, the, the local police would call the, um, the California Bur Bureau of Investigation first, and then the FBI, but the uh, CBI was never brought in on this case. The FBI called the local PD and said, yeah, let us let us help you guys out. They sent an interpreter. They um, they sent a crime scene analysis team. They they were just all up in it, ready to to go. And then we find out later that two days after this murder, there was a federal grand jury subpoena for all records attached to this case, and the reason given in this was in furtherance of an ongoing federal investigation being conducted by the FBI criminal division of organized crime and racketeering. The date on this affidavit or on this uh, subpoena was September 29th, 1998, which is two days after. So, uh, and Victor Polhiko's name is mentioned in this. They want all of the records with this case. Kind of sus. A little sus, <laughs> but they didn't at the time. They didn't tell the police department that they had a. They were just offering help because we have interpreters and maybe we can help you guys. Um, what do you guys think about that? <laughs> Possible. Possible. <laughs> Possible. Possible. Uh, they also had a um, handwriting analysis on the team at the FBI. I'm. They probably have. A number of them, but they did say definitely the suicide note. The suicide note was definitely written by 
um, Vladimir. I almost called him Victor. That's totally the wrong name. <laughs> Vladimir. Uh, and here's my theory about those hesitation marks. What if whoever suicided him was holding the knife to his neck and made him write it? And that's then, what I was thinking too. Or they were like holding it to his neck. I hate saying this while they killed his wife and child. Yeah. To try and get some sort of information out of him. Right. Like, where's my and, money, punk? Right. Like, <laughs> give it up, give it up, give it up. All right. Well, you now done it. Did they have yeah. a theory as far as order went, or was it too far past the murders to, to, have, to have an idea? That's another thing. No, they found them the next morning. But um, that's another thing that in this documentary, when I watched it, I thought very strange because the person who, um, who the the main character in this documentary, which is he, she's not even the main investigator. She's just somebody who she was like a forensics analysis that worked on the case. This main lady in this documentary, and she says she gives this narrative in the documentary, like. If if we're to believe the evidence, this is what had to happen. He went to the garage. He got a hammer. He killed. He he knocked his wife out. Then he wiped the the or the hammer rather, and then he wiped the hammer down. And then he went and got a knife. And then he stabbed her. And then he went to the garage again and got a different. I'm like, wait, how do you know? You don't know that that's how he did it. But she had all these steps in between, like he was going back and forth. I'm like, maybe he had a fanny pack with hammers in it. We don't know. A fanny I mean, pack full of hammers. Sounds like a <laughs> same fanny pack Bull Pelosi had. Or yeah. yes, <laughs> I um, do feel like she built a straw man in in the documentary. Mm -hmm. She built a straw man. She presented things, just enough information about Robert Maxwell to support her narrative. Uh, conveniently timed in this pro-Ukraine anti-russia absolutely the story was i mean even down to the 2022 appropriate black protagonist <laughs> <laughs> even if what's being presented by the documentary is more or less correct that the russian mob did this it just mm -hmm. reads like propaganda it does. And this happens in a lot of cases that I cover on my channel where they are feeding you a narrative that they want you to believe. And what they're doing is feeding you reasonable doubt. So uh, we're not the jury, though. Of uh, Vladimir Polhiko is dead. He doesn't get a trial. He's already dead. Uh, it's a lot of propaganda in there. They even mentioned the Ukraine war and stuff in the documentary. <laughs> like they, they're not even hiding it. The one thing they do mention that I thought was really interesting is that uh, Putin became head of KGB like two months before these murders mm -hmm. happened. Suspicious. <laughs> Very sus. <laughs> sus. Sus. Um, sus. So we're going to take calls here in a minute. And uh, if, if anybody wants to call in and talk about this case. But... Um, why is the FBI involved? Oh, the other thing that I did want to mention uh, before I get to the to the end here is that uh, recently the investigator person that's doing this documentary, the documentary crew asked the FBI 
uh, they they did a Freedom of Information Act about what this affidavit was about, what case it was about, and all of that. And the letter that came back said, from the FBI, we can neither confirm nor deny that there was ever a case involving uh, Vladimir, Vladimir Polhinko, um, or if he was ever a suspect or a witness or anything like that. And in the documentary, she claims that, well, why can't I have it? Like, what if I was working on this case with them, why can't I have it? And my thought is because you're making a documentary now, you're not a cop anymore. Why would they give you that if it's an ongoing case? So if it was a Russian racketeering case back in the late 90s, who's to say it's not still an ongoing case? In which case, of course, they're not going to give you anything. Even if you were still a local PD, they might not. If they're the FBI. Have we talked about um, destroyed evidence yet? Not yet. We're going to talk about that right now, and then we're going to take calls. So six months. Okay, so uh, the autopsy comes back about the same time as the funerals are going on. Now, at the funerals, there's some really, you know, when there's a crime going on, they um, they take pictures of the people at the funeral. Like, if they if there's suspicious about what happened and there were some really suspicious guys in trench trench coats at the funerals and when they asked the family about it and the the russian community nobody knew these guys uh so that's kind of weird and then so about the same time a 200 page autopsy report comes back and it says it was a murder suicide the case is closed end of story um six months later all of the evidence in this, the local police evidence is destroyed in this case, which normally if there's murder involved, it's not destroyed. However, if the person who committed the murders is already dead, there's no reason to keep it. Uh, it was said in the documentary that, well, we always keep evidence for like at least 10 years, if not longer, but that's because of appeals and things like that. But there's not a trial or appeal. So why would they need to keep it? So this is them planting reasonable doubt, in my opinion. That whole that whole part was felt contrived. Where mm-hmm. she said, "Look, is homicide even even in the case of suicide that you would not you you would not destroy so early on?" And then she has this whole confrontation piece in the documentary with her friends who work for the police department, where she's like, "Why would you sign off on this?" And they were like, "We didn't," but it it felt completely scripted. Yes. Oh, sorry. I'm trying to get the call set up. People are asking for my links, which I did not put in the description, I don't think. So let's do that now. Um, do you guys, what do you guys, I'll have you guys do a little wrap up and s- tell me what you think of this case. Jess, let's start with you. Um, I think very interesting case. I don't feel like it's as cut and dry as the original assumption, but I do feel like the documentary was trying to create some sort of narrative. I don't know if we mentioned the fact that uh, the original creator of Tetris um, and Hank Rogers did not want to be interviewed for the documentary. I don't know if either of you find that interesting. I kind of do. Um, considering they're still a big part of the Tetris company. And the Tetris company wanted nothing to do with this documentary. Um, Yeah, they said that they tried to reach out to them and they did not um, respond. So I I can understand why 
Tetris, the company would not want to be associated with a gruesome murder from a PR standpoint. That makes sense. Yeah, to me. Absolutely. I, I, I could definitely see two things being true about this case. Number one, that this guy sleep deprived himself into a state of, of a psychotic break, hallucinated enemies where his family was. This has happened with drug use. Um, people have killed loved ones during hallucinations before mm-hmm. and then killed himself once he realized what he'd done. I can see a lot of that adding up. The part that doesn't really work for me is how deep his neck wound is that I have a really hard how time How do you imagining. do that to yourself? Yeah, it just that you would even be able to hang on to the knife through the pain of that. Like once you've done the cut, I can understand hanging onto the knife, but not cutting all the way to your spine. I, that part I think cuts against the narrative <laughs> the best. However, the documentary was just very sus to me. I think it was yeah. totally an anti-Russian propaganda thing. And two things can be true at the same time, right? That, that this was a hit by the Russian mob and this documentary is, very pro-Ukraine, funded by Ukraine, who, who mm. knows? And I think the best evidence for that is just how many Russian oligarchs have been suicided recently. There's a lot of stuff that kind of adds up. I do think it's weird that they didn't bring up those Russian oligarchs being suicided and tried to do the Maxwell thing, but maybe the timing of the documentary creation didn't really lend to that. Yeah. Parts of it I, felt very rushed, so I wonder if, you know. I was just going to say that um, I think it was very contrived, but I also think it was a Russian mob hit. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and yeah, I think that um, they really want us to, um, you know, remember Ukraine and, oops, wrong overlay. They really want us to uh, stand with Ukraine and they. (laughs) (laughs) And it really, it. There's another reason. What does Tetris have to do with Ukraine? Absolutely nothing. The only reason they even use the Tetris, it didn't have anything to do with the documentary at all, honestly. But Tetris is so fun that I've been playing Tetris music throughout this whole episode. So. I'm buying into it as well. Did anyone want to call in? I will put the number on the screen. It's also in the chat. The first number that I put um, was not the number. This is the number (laughs) if you want to call in. Or you can get in the Discord um, voice channel. Either way, if nobody wants to call, then I think we're going to wrap it up. I think uh, Ed wanted to call, but I'm not positive. Ed, please call. Ed, please call. Ed. I will take call in in this accent that is definitely <laughs> not native to me because I am not from Russia. Yeah. Um, that border. Like this small. <laughs> and, Okay. I think that um, I think that it really. All right, we have a call. Oh my gosh! Now I have to figure out how to answer it. <laughs> yeah, technology. Call her here on the air. Hello. Oh. Call her here on the air. 
Hello? Caller? Yeah? Long what? time listener, first time caller. So what do you think of this case? Oh, uh, I think it's a hundred percent true. That the Rus- that the that the Russian mafia did it? Uh, yeah, definitely. Is it um what it, what's the one thing if you had to pick one thing that puts you over the edge um thinking that that it was the uh Russian mafia, what's the one piece of evidence that you think puts you over the edge? The wiping down of the uh faucet. Yeah. That's a big thing too, that there's and the fingerprints on the hammers and stuff too. Yes. Jess and Abby, you're allowed to talk to you, by the way. He's a really, really good point you're making. making. (laughs) I'm not sure. Uh, Can you hear them talking through this app? I've never had other people on when I had calls before. (laughs) No, I can't hear them. Okay, they can't can't hear you. (laughs) I don't know what to do about that. (laughs) Is there anything else you wanted to, any other um, thing about this case that you wanted to touch on? No, that was it. Well, I really appreciate the call, and um, I hope you keep listening, and you can call back anytime. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Um, yeah, I think everyone's on the same page about it being um, the Russian mafia, for sure. Uh, but when, if you guys do go out and watch this documentary, just... Always, anytime you watch any documentary, think about what they're not telling you. Think about what narrative they're trying to push and then research it yourself as well. Documentary is not the same as podcast. They, they, nobody spends that much money if you do not have a story you're trying to tell. Exactly. Exactly. And Whereas we do not have any uh, ulterior motive. Trust everything we say, please. No skin in the game. We have no skin it in the game. I don't care either way. <laughs> All right, so what, uh, Jess, Cactus, what do you think of the Tetris effect as applied to the people who are trying to solve this case, trying to make all the pieces fit together? Like, what if they were thinking about that? They kind of created their own Tetris effect for themselves, Mm -hmm. I feel like. They wanted so bad for it to be something else. Right. Yes. So they could create this propaganda like story that they started seeing uh, visions of things everywhere, <laughs> maybe hallucinating about blood splatters and things like that. Uh, now, there's pieces of evidence that give you questions like the two hammers, like the cut, like the lack of fingerprints. Um, oh, we have another caller. Uh, oh, yeah. This is uh, Jay Edgar. I thought we just had Jay Edgar. No. <laughs> hey, Ed. Hi. So what do you think of this case? Well, I mean, it's interesting that this, uh, the story you decided to do this now, because a week ago Friday, I listened to the Gaming Historian's documentary on the formation of Tetris and how it got marketed and taken over by Nintendo for its mobile platform. Interesting. But the Gaming Historian never talked about the, uh, the murders, so... That is about the first time I'm hearing about it, but also listening to that documentary, I can't really be surprised either. Hey, Ed, are you driving a tractor right now? No, I'm driving a pickup. It sounds like a tractor. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> You've heard how loud my exhaust is. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think Tetris in general is trying to brush this under the rug. A lot of the websites and uh, history on Tetris, they don't even have Vladimir's name on stuff. He's still mentioned, but they don't have him as one of the co-creators of it, which in this documentary, he's billed to be the co-creator, which honestly, I don't even know if I buy that because uh, all he did was put his input in after the game was already invented and like made it better and marketable. So... There was a lot of backstabbing that went on to getting this to our country. And the fact that there is a murder that's involved with it and nobody's talking about it doesn't surprise me at all. Like, Nintendo had to get stabbed in the back, Atari had to get stabbed in the back, Tengen got stabbed in the back. So, yeah, yep. somebody's going to come out yep. there with a hit somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Uh, any closing thoughts? In Soviet Russia, mom hit you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for calling in. Everybody check out Jay Edgar's channel. He does news um, in the evening. What time in the evenings now, Ed? Uh, 6 Central, 7 Eastern. 6, 7 Central Eastern. Um, so, yeah, check that out. If you don't like to read like me, I can't read. Um, check out his um, news channel to get your news. Uh, daily. It's good stuff. Thank you. Take care. Uh, all right. We have a good night. Yep. We have one more caller, which I'm going to actually, this person I'm going to call, because you can you can hear him, but he can't hear you. Yes. yes. So, and what I try is, is double. double. Gotcha. What I'm going to do is the person who just tried to call in, I actually have their phone number. I'm going to call, or I'm going to answer it on here. Caller, you're on the air. Hi. Hi. First time caller, long time listener, love your show. You know what I just realized? Even if I answer the phone this way, you guys, you still can't hear Abby and Jess. I'm Unless she's watching the show. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so what did you think of this case? Well, first of all, it wouldn't be a KTZ production without some technical difficulties, and I'm happy to see the other ladies on the stream. We like them. <laughs> yeah, they're super cool. Yes. So, hi, everybody. Um, I'm not going to say that this was um, a Russian mafia. Wink, wink, wink. Um, but... Honestly, how do you, like, decapitate yourself? Exactly. That was the big thing, I think, with for Abby and myself. I think the fingerprints were bigger for me. Who would wipe? Why would you wipe down your fingerprints? But for Abby, the, the decapitation, it's all, it's all a little suspect. It's super sus. Uh, there's a lot of things, but the there's no way if you started to do that, you could cut to the spine. Yeah. So even if all the other things aligned, like the spars, and you wipe down your fingerprints, and which you wouldn't, and leave palm prints. You would either wipe it all or not. Mm -hmm. But you're going to die instantly. You wouldn't have time to be wiping stuff down. Exactly. Exactly. So, anyway, keep up the good work. That's my teeth, then. Well, thank you very much for calling in. I really appreciate it. And um, have a have a good rest of your weekend. All right, you too, guys. Bye.
I do All right. One point here about like human nature i think every time something horrific happens and and you know the person mm-hmm. or you see it you're the you're the law enforcement officer who sees it i think that there's a cognitive dissonance of how how was this possible i need yeah. to find and i'm not saying it wasn't the russian mom i am leaning on russian mom but i think that there's an instinct to say no father could possibly do this to his wife and child and but we know that fathers can and do and have plenty of times um, and so I think sometimes the, the there's a need to make it a faceless Russian mob instead of what it is. True. But I can explain in you know I can build a narrative that explains everything but the the decapitation. That's where I get stuck. I can't I can't figure out yeah. something for that. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Very weird. Because <laughs> yeah. I can picture him him cleaning up after his act. Mm-hmm. not oh, knowing what else to do like if he was and, just gonna run away back to russia like kill his wife and kid because he went crazy because of the right. rats because of the rats yeah <laughs> and the sleep deprivation but then after cleaning up just realizing i can't live with this okay <laughs> sorry <laughs> well and then the other thing that gets me okay you clean up after yourself but then when you yourself are holding the knife the lack of fingerprints there also get me it has the palm print but not like Katie was showing us earlier on how you like yeah, the demonstration today <laughs> is, is just a really big hand. Well, I just couldn't figure out how you would hold without. I, where do your well, fingers and, and it, are it, on it, their own hand? A hunting knife. So a hunting knife has a very hefty handle. It's so, so even if you have a large man's hand, your fingers are going to at least mm-hmm. touch some part of the knife. I think you underestimate Russian hand. <laughs> <laughs> also the fact that like if you were going to cut your own throat you're right-handed wouldn't you do it this way what he did it this way he did it this this way he he didn't go up he went down it was a down cut see that's more akin to someone putting it around your neck like someone was going to kill you yes (laughs) it was a down this makes even less sense for the yeah. decapitation. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, please don't stab yourself in your carotid artery. I think we'll get demonetized for that. <laughs> do that on air. And then PJ would have to do conspiracy filled by himself. Oh, yeah. No, I'd well, fill in would for be Abby. Brain, right? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. I, I actually am not really a lot. Let him in. He's <laughs> oh, my... doing his own sleep study. <laughs> I'm going on, you know, long, long time no sleep like usual. I'm actually not legally allowed to do conspiracy pill without a Fed in the room because of the stuff we talk about so that's <laughs> kind of controlled narrative there. So, you know, when you see me get a little bit unhinged, Abby's there to, you know, give me like the signals of, you know, like, hey, when is, when am I when have I gone to like Epstein level? You know. <laughs> Like so, BJ, you're going meme again. Yeah. Pull back. <laughs> Pull back. Yeah. Hey, I, PJ, the, since you're here, what did you think of this case? I think it's both, to be honest. Like, I think it was a Russian. I, I'm agreeing with you, Katie. I think it's a Russian mob hit, but I also think that the timing of this is so, so just for pro Ukraine propaganda. Thank you for throwing <laughs> up the pro Ukraine propaganda on the stream. Yeah. yeah. No, like, there's a few things that stand out to me. Like, you're not going to wipe down. I mean, I get what Abby's saying. Maybe you wipe down everything. You're trying to cover up a murder and then you just can't take it anymore. 
But then you come back to the the way that he slices his throat. Like, I, I can't yeah. imagine a scenario where someone does that. And on top of that, um, did you say he like was still holding the knife in his hand a- afterwards? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, with no fingerprints. Like, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> he was they, holding it with no fingerprints. Your your survival instinct kicks in irrationally when you're bleeding out. So like, I can't imagine you not dropping the knife, trying to hold your throat, cutting it all the way to the back of your spine. Like, I, I've. I've done butchery, like as far as you know. I've worked as a butcher before. Learn something like, new about somebody every day, don't yeah, you? Yeah, no, I, I've, <laughs> I've done I've done butcher's work before, and I'm telling you, it's not that easy to cut through uh, a throat. So next especially, time we're trying to get own, away with murder, and we need to dismember somebody. We need to call PJ. <laughs> well, I don't know that like gear <laughs> and cows really help that much, but yeah, no, I'm just thinking about like the force it takes. It's not yeah. that easy. Yeah, I wish yeah. I could have got OJ on here to see how Life much the, force exactly that takes. <laughs> Life to the max is not wrong. I have done every job. I've, I've had so many different jobs, but yeah. So I just, I don't know. Like those two things alone make me think this is absolutely a, a mob hit. But the timing of it for sure and the way they're they're spinning it in the, I think both can be true at once. It's so disappointing to me how many of these true crime documentaries don't care at all about being objective and they just they, really, really want to push a narrative. Cause like I'm thinking of uh to make a killer. I can probably the worst example of this. I yeah. cannot think of a single true crime documentary. Murder. Yeah. Making a murder. Yeah. I can't think of a single true crime documentary that's like produced right. um, for television or whatever. That is not, um, that is not even one-sided. Even- even a few weeks ago when you and me talked about the uh, soaked in bleach, it's like it definitely has a narrative that's trying to push. I oh, might yeah. agree with the narrative, but it's, it's you know, leaving out certain things, pushing certain other things. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think what you and me try to do is look at all the different angles from it. I feel like that one is more convincing than other ones, whereas like making a murderer was just like, yeah, we're going to leave out every damning thing about this person. And even yeah. this one, it's like I might agree with the the outcome of it, but... It's yeah, still, they either it's still leave definitely it, pushing a narrative. They leave it out or they downplay it. And then they come up with the, one of the things they came up with in this documentary is that the symbolism between having a hammer and a blade with the hammer and sickle of the Russian flag. And like right, a, right, right, right. <laughs> that's like, just reaching in my opinion. <laughs> well, they're really still pushing the Russian uh, hammer and sickle even like, you know, 30 years after the wall, Berlin Wall fell. Exactly. Well, and that's the thing. Exactly. It's not like these guys were super part of the communist movement, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. This, yeah, well, this the only of, thing. Sorry, go ahead. This brings me to my other question: Is was this hit even supposed to be framed as a suicide? The people who did the hit were they trying? Because it seems like it's a little too obvious that it's not a suicide. Um, if they were actually trying to send a message, this is very much the Russian mob, and you should be afraid. Of us, what, and what then year was the this law again? Enforcement was so scared they wouldn't. Yeah, well, see, that's ninety-eight. Okay, I was thinking if it was like eighty-nine, I would have thought maybe they were definitely trying to ninety-eight. I could see them maybe trying to cover it up a little. If it was like eighty-nine, it would be like they're definitely sending a message back then. So I could see it both ways on that. Well, that's what the investigators said with the hammer and the blade being the hammer right. and sickle was that they were sending a message. But if they're sending the a message, wouldn't they just like kill the guy? No, yeah. Why was it so encoded? Like, why? Like, you know, um, I don't know. What do you mean? Maybe encoded? they were trying to send a or, message to well, the Tetris like, company. Yeah. yeah. It like wouldn't they just 
flat out say this is a Russian mob hit? They did. Why? Why would they do secret signals and like maybe encoded is the wrong word? Maybe they felt the symbolism was so strong. Hammered, is it though? When did they use a sickle, sickle then? <laughs> they used a knife. They used a hunting knife. So <laughs> it's a, it's a good point. Like but yeah, uh, it, it seems- can you kill somebody with a sickle? It seems like you would be the person that would know this. <laughs> I think you could definitely kill someone with a sickle. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you ever see the movie Sling Blade? No, I haven't seen oh, any movies. Oh, never mind. <laughs> well, the other question is, is the, is the knife that, that was in the guy's hands the knife that was used to kill him? Or is that what he was trying to use to defend himself? I, it doesn't say. I have no idea. Also, all of the records have been destroyed, so there's no way to go back and find out. <laughs> Plot twist, murder weapon was sickle the whole time. Maybe. How would you use a sickle and cut down? Huh. It... it yeah, if somebody's Would, behind you. It just yeah. it seems like, like the angle just makes me really side. think it was somebody behind. That's yeah. yeah, me too. Yeah. With sickle. Behind with sickle. Exactly. Also, I mostly wanted to come in here and just welcome Katie Zed to the Hawkhound Media Group as we're kind of launching that. I know that uh we talked about this on Conspiracy Pill the other day that we're trying to team up with other podcasts that we really like. So me and Abby obviously doing Conspiracy Pill, love what Katie Zed's done. We've had her on our show twice now. And uh, now you've had Abby and Jess and me on, so um, very excited. Well, you kind of crashed. So crashed? you know, you didn't invite me. I'm I just did here. Not. I'm just here. Yeah. You were not invited at all. This was supposed no, to be like fair. girls hanging out talking about murder. Yep. Because <laughs> that's what girls like to do. We do. We Pretty talk sure about murder all the time. We plan our husband's demise. Um, how we can get away with it. Sorry, this is not how to get away with murder stream. Never mind. Forget it. I didn't say well, that. <laughs> yeah. Life to the max is I like how PJ drops instead of calling it. I've been here the whole time. Like all of this stuff moving around the screen. That was mostly me. So I feel like I feel like I earned a little bit of getting a, to crash your stream. A little bit. A little yeah, bit. I, I think I'll, I did even even I was happy to have you here since this is the first time of using this particular yeah. program to stream. It looks really <laughs> great. And I think I'll have it down for next week. Yeah, I'm going to take full responsibility, by the way, for any issues tonight. The, KDZ was my uh, test pilot for <laughs> using this new streaming platform. So there there was a few little issues with the some sound echoes and some stuff like that. So I apologize. That's on me. We're, we're working on it. But yeah. Anyway, Thank I will you. let you girls have your girls night. Thank you for letting me crash your stream or not letting me. I did it anyway, but I'll still say thank you. And try to be gracious in some way. Thank so. you for being the man behind the scenes. All right. God bless now everyone. Get behind the scenes. All right. <laughs> Bye, PJ. Oh, finally alone. I know. Oh, we can we talk about that, him now. He's still fed back there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you get? Do you all have any closing thoughts? I think um, we already did this part, but we yeah. talked a lot since then. So, <laughs> Waffle asked, "Where did Hawkhound come from?" I think we're going to do a more formal introduction of Hawkhound mm-hmm. and and everything that that entails a little bit later. So, stay tuned. Yeah, the second week of January, right? Totally. I, I was just, paying attention. I uh, <laughs> yes. I have lots of stuff on my calendar, so. <laughs> Um, we will update you on all of our Twitters. If you all want to follow Jess or Abby, there's links in the description. Did you guys want to just say a little bit about where people can find you or where's the best place to find you? Just the links in the description. Do that. <laughs> Go ahead, Jess. Um, you can follow me at real truth cactus on Twitter. Check out all my fun memes and 
hang out. Cactus is a great memer and yes, a, a really lovely account to be following. And if you're not, I don't know what you're doing with your life. Um, you can find me on Twitter and a bunch of other places. The best is just look up solo.to slash Abby Libby. And that's where all my links are to conspiracy pilled and all the things. And if you are watching this after the fact, or even now, everything is linked in the descriptions on every platform, I believe. And I'll double check that after we're (laughs) uploaded, just to make sure it's still there. I hope you ladies have a wonderful night. Thanks for hanging out with me. Uh, Chat, thank you for hanging out and listening to a squawk about this crazy murder. Um, And I hope everyone has a great rest of your weekend. Bye, guys. Bye.